Welcome to the Violet Church Podcast, where each week you'll hear a recap of Sunday's message and receive practical, relevant, biblical perspectives on topics that matter to you. My name is Eric Flynn, and I have the privilege of serving as the executive pastor here at Violet Church. And we kicked off a new series in the Gospel of Mark on January 1st titled Following Jesus, where each week we're diving deeper into God's Word and unpacking some key topics and principles. I'm very excited for today's episode as we have Pastor Rick Williams joining us. Pastor Rick is in his 27th year as senior pastor here at Violet Church, and he also serves as a Central Ohio Catalyst for the State Convention of Baptists in Ohio. Welcome to the podcast, Pastor. Hey, Eric. Good to see you, buddy. Good. Well, we also have some other guests with us today. Pastor Brian Ness is with us. He's over the adult ministries here at Violet Church, and Pastor's in his, Brian's in his 22nd year at Violet. That's true. 22nd year yep. at Violet. And then we also have Miss Gail Reed with us as well. Gail is the Women of Faith small groups leader, among many other things. You wear multiple hats, Gail, but welcome to the podcast. We are so glad you're with us today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yes. So we got a, we got a packed house today. We've got four of us on this week, so we're setting new records. We'll shoot for five next week. <laughs> but so, right. yeah, so welcome. Glad you guys could all make it in today. We are actually in Mark 8. 27 through 38, where we're recapping Sunday's message around the core truth is Jesus is not looking for fans, but he's looking for followers. And the fundamentals of following Jesus, there were some key points that Pastor Rick touched on on Sunday. And the first one that he mentioned is that it involves a confession of Jesus. Pastor, can you unpack that a little bit for us a little bit? Yeah, I think um, as you as you look at this passage, um, you know, it really helps you to see how to move from just being a casual fan of Jesus to a fully devoted follower of Christ. And it always starts with a confession. And so what we see here in, in Mark eight twenty seven through 29, two really important questions that Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say I am? Who do you say I am? And we really got to take into account that where they are when these questions are asked, because as we think about Caesarea Philippi, it's a place that's 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee, and it's at the base of Mount Hermon, and it's one of those places that had become a, a center for idol worship. And so Jesus takes them to this strategic spot and really wants to um, help them to see the importance of of who who he is and who they think he is because what is required here is a confession that indeed Jesus Christ is the Christ he is the son of the living god yeah so it in, where it says it involves a confession of Jesus he's got him up at Caesarea Philippi and on his way up there as you can see in the scripture 27 through 29 he says who do people say i am and they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are Christ. So it was very clear he was taking them there for a purpose. He wasn't just, hey, guys, let's go on this field trip to this cool place and, and experience the other gods and idols and things like that because there's only one. So he was he knew what he was doing, obviously, when he took them there. But um Brian, do you want to chime in? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, 
Many of you know we are going to have another opportunity to go to Israel. And as I've gone in the past, this is one of the areas that really God has used uh, in my life uh, to speak to me. And like Pastor mentioned, it's just north of the Sea of Galilee, but often we don't pause and really dig in to see what this place looked like. And so there was a temple area here where Jesus was was taking them, and there was a grotto to the to the god Pan, and they actually did they did sacrifices, uh, human sacrifices there. And then there was all these little niches in the in the wall. It's just like a, a mountain wall with different gods that they worshipped. And so, as Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and he says, "Who do you say that I am?" They are looking at this backdrop you know, of all these different, like, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? They're looking at all these gods that were worshipped during that time, and he's really, he's calling them out. So there's all these gods that people worship, but what about you? Mm-hmm. And so it's, as as we read God's word, it's it's important to 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 realize that. And even just just where he took them also, Pastor mentioned that it's at the foot of Mount Hermon. These were the headwaters for the Jordan River. This was the water was life to them back then. And the Jordan River flowed through Israel, and this is, was their life water. And so Jesus is saying, I am your life. I am your living water. I am where you get life now, um, not just from this water, but spiritually you find life from me because I am God. So it's just a powerful it's a powerful place and and it's it's neat how how Jesus brought his disciples there uh to ask them this question. And I think um the 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 follow up there to that is as you mentioned on Sunday Pastor Rick was we must have certainty about Jesus's identity. And it was very clear why he took them there so that it was very clear to them that they had certainty in who he was. He's not just the Son of God, but He is God, um, and and everything else was false idols. So, I appreciate that share. It was a great great point. The second point in Sunday's message was it involves a challenge to self. And here you landed in Mark eight thirty one through thirty three in the Scriptures. What challenges to ourself do do you see? Can you, can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges is is what we think, what we're thinking. And oftentimes, um, if we're not careful, um, we think that um, we're doing the will of God or we're following God when, in fact, sometimes we're diametrically opposed to God. We see this with Peter. You know, on the one hand, you know, we just he just had this great confession that Jesus is the Christ, and then he's he he's got this rebuke of Jesus, and he's thinking um, because Jesus had told him, you know, I've got to go. I've you know it says there in verse thirty one, beginning in verse thirty one, he says, um, I must be killed, and after three days rise again. And so when Peter hears this, in his thinking, in his thought, and the way he thinks is, that's not going to happen. Of course, we know that Peter was the protector. Um, he often said before he thought, and so he just spurts this up. He says this to, to, to Jesus. He rebukes him, it says. And it's interesting that Jesus rebuked back um, with the words, 
get me behind, get behind me, Satan. And, and it's interesting as you notice the next line, Jesus says, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So in his mind, he's got it. He's, he thinks Jesus is going to be this conquering Messiah that's going to overthrow Rome and set up his kingdom then and there. And Jesus is saying, no, you, you didn't read Isaiah 53 carefully. I'm going to be the suffering servant. I will be the conquering king, but I'm coming as a suffering servant. So I think the challenge to self is we really got to be careful that we, we're not on the wrong side of Christ and what he says and on the wrong side of God's will. Um, I'm so glad that that Peter, we have the the descriptions of what Peter says. I like one one of the commentaries say that Peter's the disciple with the foot shaped mouth, <laughs> because I just <laughs> he just constantly is putting his foot in his mouth, but he is doing so often what so many of us would have done in that situation. I'm so glad that each one of the Gospels describes such characteristics of Peter. Yeah, those are great shares. Is there anything in the past two points there, Gail, that maybe you would want to add, maybe from a, a group leader perspective? Or what were some takeaways that, that you might have from Sunday? Uh, Sunday, uh, when Pastor Rick was speaking on the first point about confession of Christ, um, I, I just wanted to talk about the difference in the two types of confession. Um, first, the confession of our sins, and then our confession, our testi- testimony of, of who we believe Jesus Christ is. So confession is used, you know, those two ways. And what I'm seeing in this movement of young people just recently is a huge emphasis on confession, both types of confession, but confession of sins, and in front of people, uh, very personal sharing in their, with their friends and, and even strangers who are worshiping with them. I'm glad you shared that. Um, speaking of what's going on at Asbury, um, I heard you were part of uh, a movement back in the 70s that was very similar to what's happening at Asbury today. Right. Um, Pastor Rick referred to the the movement uh, of the Holy Spirit at Asbury University this past Sunday several times. And I'm sure most of you have seen it on uh, videos, on some type of social media, and you're aware of what's going on. I hope you're watching it because it is just magnificent, I think. Um, 53 years ago, when Asbury was a college, not a university, there was another grand movement of the Holy Spirit there, and uh, similar things happened as what we're seeing now. I didn't attend Asbury College. I was in a little Baptist college close to Asbury, Georgetown College in Georgetown, Kentucky. And some people, of course, we had no cell phones to share this. We had no Facebook or Instagram to uh, post videos on back then. And so sharing the word was uh, different. 
uh, several people from Asbury came over to Georgetown College, and I am imagining they sent out representatives to other schools in the area and shared what was happening at their, at their school. Um, the guest from Asbury met with some Georgetown uh, people in a tiny little chapel where devotions were given sometimes. Um, then the group in the room grew and didn't fit in the room anymore, so they moved to the student center. And the group kept growing and moved from the student center into the John L. Hill Chapel, which is similar to what you see in the uh, photos and video of Asbury's Chapel. Um, the place was packed. More and more people ran back to their dorms and invited people to the chapel to see what was going on, to be witnesses. And uh, the scene was very much like what you see uh, at Asbury right now. Uh, people sensed the Holy Spirit. People's hearts were broken over their own sins. And as I said before, there was much confession of sin um, there was also music, singing together, although we did not have contemporary uh, hymns uh, or songs. We had the old hymns that we were singing. Um, I came to the chapel and worshipped in that group, and some of my friends were there too. And um, the most amazing thing was that the staff there at the, ca at the college, the dean of women, allowed all women to skip curfew at their dorms and stay up as long as they wanted to in the chapel while this worshiping was going on. I think from the staff it was acknowledgement that God came and filled the chapel at Georgetown College as he had filled the chapel at Asbury College and probably many other colleges in that area, and he was working there. Um, there were testimonies. It was informal, like it is right now at Asbury. Uh, I can't remember sermons. I believe there were some pastors who gave sermons. Um, but it was primarily the students uh, sharing, sharing their confessions of Jesus Christ, both kinds of confessions, acknowledging him as their Lord and Savior. You might think, well, at, at a Baptist college, wasn't everyone saved? No, no. There were non-believers in that, in that college. Um, but many came to know the Lord through that, and those uh, others there were impacted, I think, for the rest of their lives. I hadn't really thought about it uh, a whole lot recently until the Asbury University revival came up, and um, it made me think about the impact 53 years ago on me while I was a junior in college, how that shaped my life, the direction that my life has gone in since. Uh, I've not been a missionary. Uh, I've been a, a pastor's wife and a teacher. But still, I believe these huge movements of the Holy Spirit, the rare movements of the Holy Spirit, they shaped almost everybody's life in that group. Some became pastors, some became missionaries, some became deacons or teachers or um, just 
anything and everything in service of the Lord. And um, I am so excited to see what's going to happen with these kids at Asbury University uh, right here in 2023 to see what happens to them. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I know you said 53 years ago. I'm shocked that, you know, at, at the young age of five, you were a junior in college 53 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> um, uh, that's precise. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> thank you for sharing that. Some of the things, I know you mentioned Georgetown College, Asbury University, and you know, what we're seeing right now, as, and it's starting to spread now. It's going from Asbury to, you know, I've heard Cedarville, Sanford. I'm sure there's others that, where this is happening. And um, you had mentioned confession or, or repentance, right? There was this deep confession going on in repentance and uh, people worshiping just for the love of God. And what are some similarities? I, I know we didn't have Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff back then. Or, you know, I don't even know how much news we, news was around that um, 53 years ago. But what were some similarities that you, you experienced then that you might hope to see out of what's happening today? It's certainly different today with all the ways we have. We share things within seconds. You know, yeah. we text things uh, or post something on Instagram, and it's just seconds later that hundreds, maybe thousands of people are are getting that, receiving that news. Um, 53 years ago, I felt kind of in the dark all the time. Uh, in my years at college, uh, I didn't see a TV. Mm. I didn't see a TV, you know? <laughs> they didn't have them there? Or did they just... There was them? one in our girls' dorm, uh, in the in the foyer, or the parlor. I'm sorry, parlor. <laughs> I believe it was black and white, Okay. and uh, nobody ever went in there to watch it. So I didn't receive news. I didn't. I didn't really know anything about the, the Vietnam War much. Wow. You know, um, so I stayed in the dark pretty much during those those years at Georgetown. Um, it was spread by word of mouth, and it was spread because of excitement, excitement, and I see those in both places. I see those when I was there, the excitement. We got to go get our friends. We got to go back to the dorm and pull these people out of bed and into the chapel. And we're going to stay up all night. Um, some classes were canceled. I believe classes were canceled initially because the professors were told what was happening. And, and they were wanting to come witness this work of the Holy Spirit. And that was exciting, you know, to see our professors get excited over something that we were excited about. Um, I think the emphasis in prayer in both places was something um, that impressed me. There was someone leading in prayer, but mostly it was forming clusters of people and praying among um, not only friends, but but people that we didn't even know. Uh, but when you're in a group of believers, primarily, all of a sudden you're brothers and sisters with people that you don't know. You, you have a common bond, and it, it pulls you together. Um, so the prayer time there was very precious. Um, 
I believe at Georgetown, the the work of the Holy Spirit lasted about four or five days in this form. I'm not going to say the work of the Holy Spirit stopped after five days because it didn't. Like you know, it spread into the world. Even with this Asbury um, phenomenon right now, I've heard uh, not only of college campuses, but I've heard of countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember on the list I was looking at. I can't remember anything but Uganda. But I mean, thanks to social media, I don't know if God invented social media, but whoever did, did a really good thing for spreading the word yeah. and for spreading uh, special special events like this. Yeah, thank you for sharing those. And you had mentioned that you had saw you you had seen people come out of that as pastors or deacons or missionaries, and I think that that might be one thing that we see here in need. Yes, because a a recent Barna study um, shows that fifty percent of pastors today, senior pastors today, are over the age of fifty five. Over 50% are over the age of 55, which means in the next five to 10 years, we're going to see a massive shortage of pastors in pulpits and churches Mm -hmm. to where that could be a pandemic in itself unless we start rising up new leaders, whether it's in universities or churches. We need new leaders to rise up and to, I think we could see that happen again with what's going on in Asbury. Yes, yes. That's a huge takeaway. God is definitely on the move there. And one of the things that has struck me during all this is the Holy Spirit doesn't, it's not just from college to college to college. I want to see this jump to churches, churches to churches to churches. Uh, You know, the Holy Spirit can do this anywhere, everywhere. And, uh, I would love for us to be on board with that if he wants to work with Violet. Um, I was sharing with my small group Sunday that 37.9% of the people who live in Pickerington, I checked the religious demographics, only 37.9% claim to be Christian. And that includes a long list of denominations, uh, even Mormons and, and Catholics. And it is disturbing to me that less than half the residents here, you know, we, we are a minority. Oh, yes. You're absolutely right. There's plenty of work to be done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and 39%, um, you know, I don't... Unfortunately, people that, I'm going to say something that might get some hot water, but 39% of people that say they're Christians, I think we know that, I don't know their hearts, but I know a lot of people who might say they're a Christian, but their Monday through Monday through Saturday actions wouldn't necessarily demonstrate that. Um, so I don't know if I, that number might be high. But it's a great statistic to to have, you know, whatever, 60%, 61% of our mission field is har- is ready for, the, for harvest. Um, 
And we can't ever forget that. We can't just focus on the 39% that are. We need to make sure that we're continually reaching and, and putting a focus on evangelism and growing in our discipleship, each and every one of us, to reach the next person, to reach the next person. Who's the one person that's in your life that God put in your path? So great share. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Gail. Really appreciate that. Yeah, I think it's amazing as she was sharing, uh, Eric, I'm I'm reminded how God, as he has moved in the hearts and lives of people, he often, often uses young people to do that. People that are teenagers and and in their young in their early twenties. And even as as Pastor was was preaching from Mark eight, the disciples were not in their thirties. They were young and he used them uh to totally change the world. And also as as Gail was 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 talking and how how God uses situations and things that are going on in culture of that day to further his kingdom. So he uses he uses uh, social media and the internet and s- such now. Back then, the Roman Empire was in, ch- in control, as we know, history, and they had amazing road systems, and the disciples used that road system to travel all over the known world to spread the gospel. So God takes us and uses us in, in the culture that we live in to spread his word. It's, um, man, Gail, thanks for sharing. That was, that was really encouraging. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. I want to say that God does not leave out middle-aged people and older people. And I was reading someone's take on the Asbury University uh, movement just uh, a few days ago that said these young people are going to need older, wiser Christians to, to mentor them and disciple them. And so I was urging the women in my class to think about that. You know, we may have a role in this if, if we encounter someone who has uh, made a profession of faith and needs uh, discipling. You know, that's, we need to share how to follow Jesus. Absolutely, yes. And pouring into people and discipling people and having them grow in their walk. And that's one of our our core values here, our mission, love God, love others, and make disciples. So it's right out of the great commandment and great commission. Um, and we're all called to do that, not just the pastors, but not just the small group leaders, but everyone is called to do that if you claim to be a Christian. And I, I appreciate that share as well. Um, and one of, the, one of the, I think we bring up some really great points here. We tend, it's, and it's great to see revival start with young people. And I'm, I'm just, I'm wondering, is it the fact that we get so busy in our lives as we get older that we don't, we, we structure everything and we even structure church, meaning Sunday morning, I'm going to give you one hour of my time church and you get one hour or one hour and 15 minutes, right? Like you had mentioned, I'd love, you, you had mentioned Gail, I would love to see what's happening in these universities and colleges spread to churches. And that would be amazing to see. And God's going to do what God's going to do. But I think that, and I don't have statistics around this or anything, but this is just, this is just Eric's take. I think we, we don't, we don't allow margin in our lives anymore. We don't allow um, room for the spirit to work 
um, because we structure everything. You know, from this time and this time and this time and this time, this is what I'm doing and I'm tasked or, you know, family and kids. And I know we all get busy, but I'm wondering if that's what's keeping churches from, from experiencing this. We have, we structure it to, this is, you get one hour and then we, you know, we got to pick up our kids from this area or we got to do this or I got to meet this group at, at Cracker Barrel for breakfast or wherever, wherever you're going for breakfast or lunch and, it's just interesting to me that we always see, I don't want to say we always, like it happens all the time, but we see this happen a lot at universities because I think that the students, one, they're in community together. They live amongst each other. They spend a lot of time together. As we get older, we start to grow away from that. And we, you know, it's, I'm not saying family's bad. Family time is great and you, and you live with your family, but you got to get outside of the walls of your house like who are your neighbors? Who who are who's in your small groups? Are you even in a small group? But I think we lose a lot of that community to where we just marginalize our time and and we don't allow for that movement to happen. But again, that's just that's just my thoughts, um, just randomly talking. But I'd love to hear maybe somebody expand on that a little bit. Yeah, I think. <clears throat> excuse me. I'd mentioned on Sunday that as I've been processing the whole movement, it's clear that God is on the move. Uh, his spirit's being poured out. And as I'm reading everything, I think there are three categories when it comes to this, what's happening. Um, some people are just spectators and they're content to be a spectator and just be on the sideline and maybe even cheer. Um, I think, unfortunately, there are some critics um, in terms of just really just um, coming out strong against this. And then there are participants. And I mentioned that on Sunday morning. I didn't mention this, though. I think being a participant is going to look different for everybody because we all have different personality types. But I think the goal is, you know, in James, I believe it's in Chapter 4, um, where we're told to, to, if we draw near to God, He'll draw near to us. And I think that, like Gail, that's what I so desire is is for us to just grow closer. We talk a lot at our church about going deep and then wide. I think this is a great opportunity for our church to go deeper with God so that we can have a wider influence for him. And I also think, um, yeah, absolutely. And Gail brought up a really uh, a great couple points when she talked about the different confessions. So confessing Christ as being Lord, but also confessing sins. And I think um, as you look through history, revival happens. It starts with individuals who who uh, repent and confess sins and, and proclaim that Jesus is Lord, they're not, and they confess sin in their life. And I think for churches to do that, we need to allow room um, for people, us, um, to to confess our sins. And sometimes in churches we don't do that. One, people don't do that because maybe in the past they have done that and it became part of a gossip ring, which is not right. It, it, you know, God's Word is clear about how gossip is sin. But also they, they just, I don't want to air out my dirty laundry, you know. Um, so it's, 
like Pastor just said, it's it's going to look different for for each person, but it starts with uh, confessing Christ as Lord, and um, what are those things in our lives individually that are keeping us um, from from Christ being totally totally control of our life, and in releasing those and confessing those and laying them at His feet, um, and and He promises. That if we confess those sins, he will. He's he's faithful and just, and will forgive us those sins. And I love the last part of that verse in First John one nine. He will con- he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I think that's what we're seeing happening. Yeah, yeah. And it's I love the points that you made, Brian, and and also Pastor. Uh, it's easy to be a spectator. It's easy to just observe. And then what you, what that usually leads to is either you're going to jump in mm. or you're going to become a critic. Um, it's hard to just sit, but it's easy to be a spectator and it's easy to be a critic. Um, it's hard to jump in and be a part of something that's that's making a difference. It's it, And because you're going to get, um, you're going to catch flack for it from people. You know, it's a declaration of war. You're going to catch flack for pe- from people. Um, people might ridicule you. They might make fun of you. You might have to stand alone at times. But, um, yeah, it's it's so easy to be a spectator. Mm. And spectators easily turn to critics. But go be a part of it. And that's ha- it's hard to do. It's hard to to be called to something and then, and then to go do it. But it's easy to, to do the first two things. So... I appreciate those shares. Um, so, on on if I go if I circle back to the sermon on Sunday, uh, we had talked a little bit about it involves a challenge to self, and then and then we started unpacking what's going on in the world today. But then um, you landed that specific area with God's will is often a challenge to our way of thinking. And I think this comes back to what we had just talked about. Um, you know, our way of thinking is is earthly way. Like uh, we look around and see what everybody has, or you know, I'm trying to do this, or trying to get there, and um, trying to get to this job. If I could just get this job, I'll be happy then. Or if I just get this thing, I'll be happy then. And but that's not God's thinking. That's our thinking. Um, so point one was it involves a confession of Jesus. Point two was it involves a challenge to self. And then let's go to point three here in the sermon notes. It says, it involves a call to die. And I think it's, if you're a Christian, you understand what that means. If you're not a believer and you say, it involves a call to die, I might call time out there. <laughs> time out, what are you, where are you going with that? Time out. So when you say, Pastor, when we say it involves a call to die, what does that mean for... What does that mean for the non-Christian that might be listening in, not just the Christians? Right. Yeah, I think um, as we think about Mark eight thirty four, it's it's one of those um, verses that really should stand out to us as as believers. But then, in, as we think about uh, your question, I think the invitation to come and die is to die to self. Because when we die to self, our own way of doing things, what we think, what we feel, we die to those things. We don't die physically. 
but we die to some of the things that are wrong in our life, even sometimes as believers. Um, but your question is, for the person listening that's not a believer, it, it simply means I'm dying to an old way of life, and I'm embracing Christ because that's he's true life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we're promised eternal life when we turn to Christ. And so really, um, life as it was meant to be always comes as a result of, of dying to self so that we can live um, for Christ and with Christ. That would be, be my basic Sure. No, I appreciate that. that. I just know when, when I, I'm thinking, okay, if I'm a non-Christian and I hear it involves a call to die, I'm thinking, whoa, I'm calling time out on this. Mm-hmm. But at, obviously you unpack that on Sunday, and, yep. and as Christians we know you die to self. Yep. You know, you, you're you're living for Christ and not living uh, selfish ways, but selfless ways. Um, and you're letting Christ live, work through you, and you're not doing it on your own. Uh, but you landed um, in Mark eight uh, verses thirty four through thirty eight here. Mm-hmm. Um, can you unpa- unpack that for our listeners? Yeah, I think like the uh, the statement that Jesus really wants us to to get is verse 34. He wanted his disciples to get that statement. Um, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so I think as, as we think about that, um, there are three parts to that verse. I remember being in a, a Bible study here when I first came to this church. I think it was called Master Life. And this was one of the core verses. And I can remember that just really marked me early on because as you look at that verse... Uh, there are three things. If you're really going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're going to deny yourself, you're going to take up your cross, and you're going to follow Jesus. And as you begin to unpack each one of those, you know, again, just going back to that idea of denying myself, um, that's really important. It means I stop leaning on my own power. Um, I stop listening to my own voice. Um, so I deny myself so that I can embrace Christ. And then that second point was simply take up your cross. I mentioned on Sunday that Historians estimate that over 30,000 people were crucified by the Romans during Jesus' lifetime. That's significant because when Jesus said that, his disciples weren't thinking, they were not thinking of jewelry, you know, the cross as a jewelry or anything other than a, um, this is death. This is crucifixion. This is, it was, it was a, immediately they understood that. Mm-hmm. They realized that it was, um, you know, it was, it was dying to self. And then the idea of follow me, it's a willingness to, um, instead of being a fan, just occasionally kind of tipping your hat to God, it means daily I'm going to follow him. It's step by step, day by day. Chuck Swindoll said the hardest thing about being a Christian is it's daily. And I think often we, I think some people get disgruntled and discouraged because they don't understand that every day, is a day where we follow Christ. Like you said earlier, it's not just showing up on Sunday for one hour. Right. No, that's a great share. Um, and that's a staggering number when you think about 30,000. Jesus wasn't 80 when he was crucified. Mm-hmm. He was 30, 32, 33 in there. So 30,000 people were crucified. When you think about that, um, that num- that's, a, that's a large number. That's a big number anyway mm. for a lifetime. But... You see, just 30 years old, 32, 33, that's, that's staggering. Mm-hmm. So uh, just to put some perspective on that, 
Brian, what did you have any takeaways from this part here? Uh, just as Pastor was as Pastor was sharing it, I'm just reminded as when when Jesus called his disciples, he said, "Come and follow." And he's ratcheting down the commitment um, as they're following him, as they're learning from him, as they're um, watching his every move. Now he's saying, "Okay, wait." You've, you're following. You need to. You need to die. And like Pastor said, die to self. And he's that. He's he's ratcheting that commitment down for them. You know, as we've gone through the Book of Mark together, um, I just I just think that that's awesome to watch him do that with his disciples. Yeah. And you you just mentioned we're going through this together as as groups, um, and I know some groups probably haven't met since Sunday, and some have. Um, what what are you seeing, Brian or Gail? What are you seeing in your groups as this study goes on? What are some conversations? Obviously, without sharing specific details that people wouldn't want out there, but what are some things you might be seeing, or some life change you might be seeing in your group since January, since we started this? I'll just share quick, and I'll just hand it to Gail. It's I hear often groups say. Or individuals say, I want to go deep. I want to go deep. And that, that's always a little bit of a flag for me. Like, do you really do you really want to go deep? Because if you truly want to go deep, as Pastor mentioned a little just a moment ago, if you're going deep, you're also going to go wide. You're going to listen to God's word and you're going to apply it to your life. And you're not just going to not to be flippant, but become a fat-headed Christian with a bunch of knowledge. So I have to apply it. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> just, you, you have no, I'm, to. I'm tracking. With yeah, you, you yeah. get it. Yep. So what I've seen in our group is is just as we've discussed um, these chapters together, we've we've really began to yes go deep in knowledge, but also how are we going to apply that in our lives this week? What are we going to do? And I'm just. I'll just say there's some groups that chose not to do it, and that's fine, but you're missing out. You're missing out on together, corporately tracking through this together. Gail? Thank you. Um, One of the big things that has stood out to me as we've gone through half of our study on Mark is Christ's relationship with people. Um, I like Mark. He's fast. He writes five verses on one little story about someone Christ met, and then he jumps to another six verses <laughs> about the next little, you know, the next person that he met. And um, another thing that I enjoy about that is that Christ certainly took interruptions in stride. He was focused on people. Um, he was not focused on other things. If you know, if there was a person involved who needed his help who needed uh, to confess their faith in him or needed to request something from him. He was all about that. We've also talked about the different way that Christ healed people. Sometimes he did it by only his word. Sometimes he did it by touch. Um, we talked this about um, Mark from Mark 8 this past Sunday. We talked about the man who was deaf and basically mute. And Jesus did the strangest thing. He pulled him away from the crowd, so he had a little bit of privacy. 
he put his fingers in both of the man's ears. So he 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 wanted the man to understand, I know about your your deafness. I know about your physical problem. And then he spit and put spit on the man's tongue. And we all all thought that was rather unusual and was not <laughs> up to medical standards of the day. But that wouldn't fly during COVID. No. no. Yeah, we talked about the hand-washing <laughs> Pharisees, yes. too, a lot about, you know, uh, did, they, did they have uh, hand sanitizer even, you know. <laughs> um, and we jumped back to Violet during the, the heart of the COVID, uh, where you all had hand sanitizers and masks right there in the foyer as you walked in. You couldn't walk away without seeing those things. <laughs> but anyhow, back to the deaf man. Uh, Christ raised his head to heaven and prayed. And then he said the words, uh, what did he say? Not not the Hebrew word, but be opened. Be, be opened. Yes, be opened. I can't, couldn't remember what he said. And the man, the man could hear. He was healed. And uh, we also talked about Jesus could, communicating with this man he communicated with people differently and that's interesting to me with this man it was like he invented sign language you know the things he did were meaningful to this man to convey what he was about to do and uh it was indeed a miracle and then other healings he did long distance and that is even more amazing i believe you know uh just uh that's mind-boggling but, yeah, the people that he encountered. And those people, so many of them were interruptions. And that's something I have taken to heart recently. I feel like God has spoken to me about you have this daily list of duties. You have these things that are required of you. And yet, all of a sudden, you get an interruption. What do you do? Mm-hmm. What do you do? Okay. And I've just been wrestling with that this week. Um there are people who need an ambassador from God right at a certain moment in their lives. Right now I'm dealing with a, a woman and her husband who had COVID, a neighbor, and then also a friend who is in the process of moving. And so all the things I'm supposed to be doing, like the hour of worship service on Sunday morning, uh, structured things, I'm letting the structured things go because I've God's told me the other is more important right now. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a new lesson for me because I'm, I'm very into organization and structure. On Sunday morning, just think about it. If the Holy Spirit broke things out in the first service, you would still kind of feel that pressure to wind things up at 930 because you, you know you got or 10.30, because you know you've got the next service coming along. So what do you do, you know? We, we kind of lose our spontaneity, I think, when we grow out of those teen and early 20 years that these students are living right now. Um, we, don't, we, j- we don't jump much on serendipity. Yeah. Hmm. And that's a great share. We had actually... Funny that you bring that up because we had talked as a staff. What what would we do if that were to happen? You know, if nine thirty service, 
usually wraps around 10.30, but what if, what if it starts going longer and longer and, the, you know, we just go. We'll go. And the people that come at 11 will join in when they get here. I was praying it would happen this past Sunday. You know, I was praying and hoping that something new would happen. Mm-hmm. And my friend and I stayed down at the altar long enough for, you know, we were hoping. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's, um, and those, those are great shares um, that you just made. And I love um, the, the, the interruption piece. How do you how do how do our listeners how do you take interruptions throughout your day? Are they inconveniences, or are they opportunities um, that God has uniquely placed this person or individual in front of you for a time such as this? Because He put that person in front of you because no one else can help that individual like you can help them in the moment that they're in right now. That's a that's a point in time that you can't get back so i love i think we can all learn from this we can all take a lesson out of that um to say our our interruptions frustration and um or the opportunities and i think it, it and that comes down to you and how you handle it not the next person is going to be accountable for that but you're going to be accountable for it so I, I love that share and i love that you know, I'm I'm 44 and I'm learning that. And I love that you shared that. I will not ask you your age, 50 maybe, but I won't ask you your age. Um, but the fact that you mentioned that that's something you're working on right now, um, that's humility to me. Because you've, you've been a Christian for a long time. And for you to say that, um, it just shows me that the type of person that, I, I know you are, but it it just emphasizes that. So I appreciate that share. Thank you. Yeah, I was reminded even as she, as Gail was sharing and as Pastor Rick was sharing that um, God is at work. God is always at work. Are we going to join him mm-hmm. at the work that he's doing around us? And um you know, we're talking about a period in time where God comes to a country of called Israel that's at the cross. It's a crossroads of, of, of human, of everything that was going on in the world at that time. And he changed this small group of men and people who then in turn went out of this country that's at the crossroads and spread his message everywhere. And we are at a time where God still wants to do that. He hasn't He hasn't changed his purpose of why he wants us to be here. And are we going to go out and as we're going, make disciples for him? Absolutely. Well, as we wrap up today, I just want to recap. The core truth is Jesus isn't looking for fans. He's looking for followers. And we we are the ones that need to self-evaluate that. Are we being a fan or are we being a follower? Point one was it involves confession of Jesus, which we must have certainty about Jesus' identity. It involves a challenge to self, or God's will is often a challenge to our way of thinking, and that it involves a call to die, which means the self-centered life 
that is so easy to fall into today must be put to death. We, we need to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him, like Pastor said, daily. But before we wrap up, is there anything that you guys would like to share that we didn't get a chance to hit on specifically before we close out? There was a quote um, from Andrew Murray that really spoke to me last week as I was preparing for the message, and I just wanted to share that. He said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. I think so often we think, what's going to happen if I'm all in? If, I, if I'm all in for Jesus, what's that going to look like? Uh, God takes responsibility. We know, as I was reading this morning in Psalm 139, that God is, a, is an all-knowing God. He's an ever-present God. He's an all-powerful God. He's a holy God. He's a loving God. And his ways are always best. And his will is always, always best. So, man, who wouldn't want to die to self so that you can experience Jesus to the fullest? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for your time today, Pastor Rick, Pastor Brian, Miss Gail. Thank you so much for coming today and sharing. It was a, a wonderful time. It was delightful, gentlemen. Yes. I, I enjoyed it. Yes, thank you so much. And for our listeners out there, the core question is, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? And you just need to self-evaluate that. And we would love to talk to you further if you have any questions. If you have any questions about Sunday sermon, you have any questions about the podcast, you can send them to info, I-N-F-O, at violetbaptistchurch.org, and we will follow up on our next week's podcast with those questions. But again, thank you all for joining us today. <clears throat> Pastor Rick, it was great to dig in a little bit more with you around the message. Uh, thank you for all our listeners out there and make sure that you follow us on all of our social media platforms, our website, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and be sure to download the Church Center app where you can follow along to everything Violet. Have a great week and we will see you Sunday. Sunday.